Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses worked your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Hello. That was a very enthusiastic hello from you today. Uh, today's the first day in like seven days where I don't have like a horrible throat sore that has made it difficult to talk. So I'm really appreciating the ability to speak. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult when you harm your instrument when you do a podcast. So I'm sure that this is much better than our very froggy tattoo episode on our Patreon that all of you were privy to hearing yeah but like there's an appeal to that um i believe the term that everyone's using these days is the faggy vocal fry so it's like (laughs) real sensual which worked for that episode probably (laughs) that's very true i always call it my 900 operator voice uh that's what you sound like i don't sound like that (laughs) you get sultry (laughs) i just sound like someone who partied a little too hardy (laughs) that's true and today i mean you kind of gave a very inappropriate and yet applicable transition into the movie we're talking about today. Uh, Because, friends, we are talking about Kevin Williamson's one and only directorial effort, if you don't know who that is. He wrote all of your favorite uh, edgy teen movies from the 90s, like Scream and The Faculty. He also created Dawson's Creek. He's a real one. Uh, But we're not talking about those movies. Uh, Today we are talking about another film from 1999, the the peak year. We're talking about teaching Mrs. Tingle, and we are not alone. We have a guest today. She is a writer, a pop culture enthusiast, and the host of the paranormal and horror podcast Guide to the Unknown, Kristen Rogers Anderson. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, Harmony, you're in good company because I also have a bit of Vocal Fry 900 number something going on. So we're all good. Yeah, it's totally fine. Well, it sounds so great. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's chill. I went to somebody's birthday party last night at a restaurant and the music was really loud, which I know makes me sound 85. And I am. Um, so my voice is a little screwed, but I'm happy to be here. As someone who's bartended for much of my adult life, I'm used to having to yell in loud rooms. But I tell you what, the (laughs) pandemic has really screwed that up for me now. I can't keep up like I don't have my stamina and my volume like I used to. And I don't know how to handle it. So when I go places your tolerance, yes, like you go somewhere now and it's like, oh, hey, you're right under the speaker. And then. What do you do? You just go, I'm old and my throat hurts, especially because I'm drinking. 
<laughs> it's very that. But my like mind and body are all here and at 100. So I'm excited to talk to you both. Yes, we are oh, present. Good. Yes. <laughs> we are all present. I was just going to say, I think that that voice to me, either it so- ends up sounding really, really sexy or else it ends up sounding like, Hey kids, you want to try a mad dog behind a gas station? It's yeah. like, oh no, that's two very different types of people. I know, and all encapsulated in the same voice. So all the more confusing. Yes. Life is a matter of perspective. That is what we're learning here today. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of this, oh God, this movie. I have so much love for this movie. But Kristen. Why teaching Mrs. Tingle? Of all of the teen movies one could have chosen, why this one? Why indeed. Um, So I'm a Kevin Williamson fan. I'm a scream freak. And I had never seen Teaching Mrs. Tingle until about two months ago. And I had an unintentional Katie Holmes teen movie double feature. I watched Disturbing Behavior. And then I was like, why don't I keep the good times rolling and finally put on Teaching Mrs. Tangle. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was a a feast for the eyes. (laughs) And um, I I needed to process it. I did my first and only like live tweet of a movie on the Guides the Unknown Twitter about it because I just I I needed to get it out of myself. And then I needed to talk to you two about it (laughs) and see what you thought. I love that that was your instinct because this is definitely a movie and we'll definitely get into it more, but was just ravaged by the critics. They hated this Mm. movie. And in recent years, people are like, wait a minute. No, this movie kind of fucks and we should talk (laughs) about that, which I love and I think makes complete sense for a lot of uh, contextual reasons. Um, So Harmony, Harmony, what was your introduction to this movie or was it watching it for the show? Uh, I mean, I guess my introduction was when we got a, a friendly email saying, I just saw this movie and I need a place to talk about it. <laughs> and that's so interesting to me because this was this comes out in 1999, which is a year that we have extensively talked about and still have plenty of other teen movies from just that year alone to do for the podcast without feeling like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I'd still somehow never heard of it. So like... <laughs> To say that this has been buried just in that year alone is an understatement. It's absolutely true. I know 99 is endless. Have you guys read that book about the movies of 1999? It's exclusively about that. There's also a podcast version of it um, (laughs) talking just about 1999. But yeah, 1999 is such a wild year for cinema. Uh, It's the the pinnacle of teen cinema. We're getting into the new millennium. We're getting into new, like a lot of neo-futurism. It's such a wild year. And I mean, I knew about this movie because I'm a weirdo and I watched a lot of things like this. I watched this very young, uh, as is the case with just about everything that I've seen for the show. I watched it too young. But this was something that I watched after I got really into the faculty because uh, Scream is absolutely one of my all-time favorites. I have, you know, Scream artwork behind my head that no one can see because this is not a visual medium. But (laughs) I love Scream very, very much. And I have met Kevin Williamson, and he's an extremely lovely person. And I can't remember if I told this story on our Scream episode, but when I met him, I introduced myself and, you know, said, you know, very nice to meet you. I was like, I'm a, you know, huge fan of your work, one of your 
movies kind of changed my life. And he goes, oh, a Scream fan. And I went, oh, well, of course. I love Scream. But no, I meant the faculty. And he read me up and down, like did one of those like looks where you like just look at somebody up and down. He goes, oh, you like Clea Duvall, don't you? And I was like, damn, I think Kevin Williamson just called me a dyke. This is great. <laughs> it was this guy's awesome. Got my number. <laughs> right. He read me immediately. But it was one of the most like affirming moments of my entire existence because uh, Kevin Williamson rules. But yeah, I watched this movie around that time period and I didn't really know that this is kind of like the forgotten Kevin Williamson film until I got older and started doing a little bit more research, ended up in a little bit more film circles. And I was like, wait, people don't like this movie. This movie's so much fun. And um, yeah, so I was really excited that you wanted to talk about it because I don't know a lot of people who would have wanted to. I'm so happy to fill that void. I mean, when I thought of coming to you both to talk about it, I I am a listener, but I still went through your whole feed to make sure I hadn't missed it. I was like, they must have talked about this movie. It's such a an oddity in a lot of ways, and it seems right up your alley to talk about. So I was thrilled that you hadn't yet. Oh, yeah. And this is a perfect opportunity to talk about it. So if you had to tell somebody what the hell this movie is about. What is the synopsis of Teaching Mrs. Tingle? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we we gather a couple of teen stars, maybe, maybe CW or Channel 11 teen stars of the time, um, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Katie Holmes from Dawson's Creek, Barry Watson from Seventh Heaven, and then um, I think her name is Marissa Coughlin, um, who was in some other teen movies at the time. That there is correct. Are... Yes. Okay. So they are three protagonists, question mark, kind of. <laughs> and uh, they are going head to head with Mrs. Tingle, Helen Mirren, who's got a real bone to pick with all of them. And uh, she is going to give the character Leanne, played by Katie Holmes, a bad enough grade that she won't become valedictorian and then that will ruin her scholarship opportunities and that is the last thing Leanne needs. So she and her two friends go to Mrs. Tingle's house to try to convince her otherwise and there's an ensuing melee where naturally Tingle is shot with a crossbow, gets knocked unconscious and they decide to tie her to her bed while they figure out what to do and then there are a bunch of, they play mind games with each other. Tingle is alive for the first time in perhaps a long time because she has these adversaries. They're just doing what they gotta do to survive, which is a lot of weird stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of teen drama ensues. Beautiful. Do I, I, do, do I spoil is... it and everything? Or oh, yeah, you can like spoil a... whatever you want. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if I was telling a friend who's going to see this or not, but I just remembered that we do spoil it. So, yeah. Um, so Tingle reads the dynamics between the three pretty easily. Um, she's a quick study and she sees that Leanne and Luke, who is Barry Watson, have a definite vibe. And then Lynn, who's Marissa Coughlin, likes Luke. So she starts kind of playing them against each other, thinking that probably the drama will cause them to get sloppy so that she can escape. And she is correct. That's what happens. And in the midst of that, there are plenty of other things. There is a uh, a tour de force exorcism reenactment, I would say, <laughs> by Jolyn, kind of out of nowhere. Um, there are a bunch of exorcist references earlier in the movie that I think might be there just to set up her doing this. 
Like I that's know what that I Kevin, think too. <laughs> right. Like I know he obviously knows what he's talking about and he throws actually in particular, like there have been exorcist references and scream. And I know that he is a fan, but they seem kind of out of place until you see her start flopping around on the bed. And you're like, okay, that's why they keep talking about like the sow. Oh yeah. Um, like the, the moment that we have, I believe Joe Lynn's line is like, Oh my God, this is just like that one movie. And it cuts over to Mrs. Tingle. And I go, what Gerald's game. <laughs> right, right. It's not really immediately clear. I feel like you need a little extra something to yeah. to connect those dots. And until she starts flopping around, then we got it loud and clear. Um, and so, I mean, that happens. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor is there as Mrs. Tingle's sub named Spanky. Mm-hmm. So he pops <laughs> also in a first. gym teacher, I think, like a yes. sub gym teacher. <laughs> Yes, and not substitute. That's not what we're talking Ooh, about. No, here. no. He is a he is a bottom bitch. He oh, is, big time. He he is spanky probably in the like the subtitles say it's with a y. I think he is more a spanky as opposed to a spanker. He is a receiver of spanks. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's spank e e, not y. Yes. He's on the receiving end. It's a weirdly star-studded movie though in just very, very brief roles for, like, everybody else. Um, Michael McKeon is in it as the principal. Mm-hmm. Molly Ringwald is in it as, like, a weirdly slut shamey office administrator who's obsessed with romance novels. Uh-huh. Um, Vivica A. Fox has, you know, one scene as a guidance counselor. Like, when the credits were rolling in the beginning and I saw these names, I was like, what is this going to be? And not a whole ton, really. <laughs> um <laughs> But so, yeah, they're they're hijinks in it left and right. Um, It seems at one point that Tingle has succeeded. She she kind of keeps putting um, she puts like a bug in Luke's ear about how Leanne is into him. She gives Leanne a monologue about, you know, how she and Tingle are the same and that, you know, Leanne pushes people away because she doesn't want to get stuck in this small town. So her reaction to that is to go bed down seventh heaven. And it seems like she gets JoLynn to be pissed about the whole situation. But we find out that JoLynn was just acting to put Tingle into like a, you know, put her off her feet so that at the final showdown, Tingle thinks that JoLynn is on her side, but she's not. And then the trio bests Tingle who gives up extremely easily because of rewrites. Um, The end of this is essentially (laughs) that, like, Leanne, you know, kind of bests her, and Tingle almost gives, like, a knowing look, like, well done. And then I I assume Tingle goes to jail, and Leanne becomes valedictorian and gets her scholarship and everything. And that's pretty much the end. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. And this movie is absolute banana cakes. And I'm so excited to dive in. So before we really like get our nails in and get messy, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month 
for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. All right, so let's start with our main sort of character here. And Harmony, I would love to know how you feel about Katie Holmes's character, Leanne. Uh, she feels exactly what a Katie Holmes character should feel like, which is she's like <laughs> the goody goody. She wants to be the valedictorian. Um, her mom is Miss Scarlet, which is great. <sighs> Agreed. Um I, I think that she pretends she's a lot more confident and knows a lot more than she does, but she is a, a terrifying high schooler and is not good about concealing it like most high school kids. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we see really physical versions of that in which her hands are literally shaking because Mrs. Tingle is a terrifying, unfuckwithable monster. <laughs> yes. No question. Yeah, she, she very much is. Kristen, how about you with, uh, with Leanne? I mean, seeing Katie Holmes in this role was very comforting and like warm bathy to me, um, especially on first viewing after having seen her in Disturbing Behavior, where she was like the town bad girl and using made up slang for that That's universe. Razor. Yes, calling things <laughs> Razor. I still loved it, um, but it was so unnatural. So seeing her immediately afterward in a little bit more of a Joey Potter from Dawson's Creek sort of role was like, ah, this is where we belong. We have now leveled. Um, so I, I thought she was great. I really like Katie Holmes. I mean, I've really only kept up with teen Katie Holmes, but mm, still, I'm, I'm always happy to see her. I feel very similarly. I really like teen Katie Holmes. And I think that this is getting to the part of her career where they do understand her a bit more. And it makes sense because Kevin Williamson obviously has his hands in Dawson's Creek. So he knows this actress quite well and mm -hmm. knows how to let her play to her strengths. Because you're totally right. In films like Disturbing Behavior or Pieces of April or even to some extent Go!, Katie is playing a little bit against what I want her to be doing. And maybe that's my own selfishness of wanting to see her in these like very cute cupcakey roles. Um, but this just fits for her. Like this is who she is to me. Yes. So correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I only know, like I didn't watch Dawson's Creek. I also didn't watch seventh heaven. So I'm not, I'm familiar with people from uh, a little more odd things like Barry Watson, me going like, no wonder he looks great in a dress in Sorority Boys. He's a beautiful man, but we'll touch on him a little bit more later. If <laughs> I, Am I mistaken in saying that Katie Holmes being the good girl is, she's the Mandy Moore of her time? Ooh. Is, is that fair to say? That's interesting. I only have like a very surface level knowledge of Mandy Moore in, you know, like I haven't seen the Nicholas Sparks movies and things like that. I, I could see them occupying similar space, though. Does that sound right to you, BJ? I would say yes and no, because Mandy Moore, very much of this kind of era, was the the very pure version of the other pop starlets. Even Jessica Simpson, who came from like a very like Christian background, Mandy Moore was still the one that was seen as like the very pure one. So there was a lot of sweetness with her. But then when she would act, they would frequently cast her to play bitches because it was so against type. So <laughs> she did like, saved. you know, 
Yeah, like in Saved is a good example, or she's like the evil mean girl in Princess Diaries, and that's a couple years after this. Um, but as far as her like celebrity public persona, like that totally tracks. Um, she was that like she was the good one. Like she's the one that like your parents didn't have to worry about was being a bad influence on your daughters. Like I'm saying this obviously with huge air quotes, but that's yeah. that's who her persona was, and that's very much. I think who Katie Holmes was for a lot of the teen stuff. Like she was the good girl. Like she's and wholesome. Yeah, she's wholesome. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great way to put it. So no, I think I think your instincts are, are on track with that harmony. Okay, because like I have pretty limited understanding of Katie Holmes's career, and that's what I that's what it feels like from what little I have seen of her, or like what the projection of her is at least during like this five straight year stretch. And she does pretty dead on, you know, like she exactly what you were seeing, saying BJ, she kind of played against type a couple of times because I would imagine maybe behind the scenes, she didn't want to be typecast that way, but yeah, she very much has the girl next door sort of vibe to her. And then with occasional flashes of a little bit more, like when she goes into Mrs. Tinkle's, I guess, drawing room, to do it with um, Barry Watson, like that dark look that comes over her eyes. It's like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> like, I think that was peppered in here and there with her roles. Yeah, totally. And I mean, she kind of did a similar thing as her roles got more mature as time went on. She's had a couple here and there where it's like, oh, that's an interesting color on you, Katie Holmes. But for the most part, like she grew up and then did The Secret, like the the movie based on the book where it's basically like, as long as you want it to happen, the secret is that it will. Also, Jesus is here. Um, so oh my God, I forgot that existed. You're so right. And then she was also in Brahms the Boy 2, which mm-hmm. I found unwatchable. I couldn't finish it. Have either of you seen that? Uh, I have. Harmony has not seen any of the boy movies and I'm going to make her at some point and it's going to be a okay. bad time and I can't wait. I don't, I don't like the sound of this. <laughs> I weirdly liked the boy. I, I was like, like in the original, I was like cackling with glee, probably internally, but still at the reveal at the end. Um, mm-hmm. So I was pretty hyped for a good bad time for Brahms the boy too, partially because the name is so funny, but I just couldn't do it. And she was pretty, um, she was this person grown up. She seemed like, a, you know, a kind of normal rich mom, basically. Absolutely. And something that I really do enjoy about this character is, so Teaching Mrs. Tingle got a lot of comparisons to Election, which is a movie that I Mm -hmm. love dearly, um, just due to its kind of like dark comedy elements. And also it's a satire and it's also about like ruining a teacher's life. And a lot of people drew the comparisons to Leanne and Tracy Flick, not in their, their personality or their, I guess their motivations, but also in the sense that they're know-it-all like do-gooders who are trying really, really hard to be the best at everything because you do get a peek behind the curtain and you realize that they don't come from money. So they have to work harder than everybody else because they don't have that to fall back on. And I like that they established that with her against Trudy, who's like the other smart girl in school, but that girl clearly does come from money and is super fucking entitled. And it does allow you to have a little bit of empathy when things start really hitting the fan where it's like, okay, but 
it is going to be way harder for this girl. Like, yes, she is still like a white girl and white privilege obviously exists, but she doesn't come from money. So like she can't buy her way out of this town. And if she doesn't get the scholarship, she is going to end up being a waitress like her mom in this small town. It's very Amber Atkins in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I get it and I empathize with that character. So I, I, I understand why she's feeling pushed to where she goes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I get it to a degree. Obviously, she has her ambitions and that totally rules. But also the way that both she and Mrs. Tingle talk about staying in the town and being a waitress is like such a death sentence that I think is unnecessary. Like it's you're not locked into that forever. Number one, even if it comes to that, God forbid. And number two, you know, it could be worse. Like, let's let's not overdo it, perhaps. Right. We don't need to, like, poverty shame people who are just trying to make ends meet. Like, I understand that you're, like, terrified of becoming your mom. Like, I get that. But at the same time, no, you are, you are totally right. And what I think is really interesting is I found this interview from, like, years and years and years ago with, uh, with Helen Mirren. And she talks about what ultimately drew her to this movie. And she said... That for her, teaching Mrs. Tingle addresses teenagers' insecurities, ambitions, and fears about the future. Remembering back to the ages of Leanne, Luke, and Joe Lynn, fear of the future is one of the most powerful things driving you on. You don't know what's going to happen to you, and that is terrifying. And I think adults forget how scary that is. Mm-hmm. And oh. I think that's a really like powerful quote from Helen Mirren assessing this kind of insane movie. Oh, for sure. Like If you're going to compare this movie to Election, like a lot of critics were doing... I think that they were much more favorable of that film because it's told from Matthew Broderick's perspective. And it kind of is like, man, isn't this teen fucking insufferable? Man, aren't teens annoying and difficult to deal with? Like, that's that's the, like, reinforced thought of that. But I do find it really, really interesting to think about this in the context that it comes out because I remember my parents were very adamant about, hey, if you don't get good grades in school and you go to, don't go to college then you're going to be like a loser like your cousin and work at a gas station or work at Walmart or work at McDonald's and you're going to be like a piece of shit living in grandma's attic like him. And that was like they wanted to put fear in you. Like, And this is obviously pre two recessions in the United States. So this was a different time. But like they still had this like work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, achieve the American dream kind of idea that they were trying to reinforce in their kids, not realizing that the world had changed. Because right right at the turn of the millennium feels like when that becomes a very clear divide between can and will do that, you know? Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I also, like I graduated from high school um, in 2002, so a couple years after this, and my parents were very, and I didn't really end up going, but they were very about me going to college and I can do whatever I want to do after that, but that if I didn't have that baseline, that everything else I try to do uh, professionally in life was going to be super hard. Uh-huh. So you're right. I mean, this was even a few years before that. So there is still that sort of fear that it's like an all or nothing kind of situation that I guess is easy to forget now. Oh, totally. I mean, I graduated in 2008 and that mindset was still very much prevalent of you scare kids into thinking that the worst thing that could happen is that you don't leave your small town. And the thing is, in a lot of cases, like that is hell (laughs) in a Mm -hmm. handbasket is like never actually leaving your small town. Um, 
like I am somebody who I have a lot of fondness for where I grew up, but I also have a lot of hate for where I grew up and I don't need to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, No, thanks. Don't need to do that. And, uh, but that is such like a weird thing that parents used to do. And I think we're starting to get to a place where we're not doing that with kids as much where it's not like, Hey, if you're a burger flipper, like your whole life is ruined. It's like, no, you can, Starbucks has pretty decent health insurance. <laughs> like these these conversations are are changing a bit, and I think that that's really important. But yeah, she's coming into a, a time period where like I get it, and like we're even introduced to her by this movie's opening sequence is shots of all of her awards and her ribbons and all of her accolades, showing that like she is working her ass off and. If it's all going to be for nothing, it's going to be because this one teacher doesn't like her. Mm -hmm. And what's also really funny, and someone pointed this out on Twitter, and it really made me laugh, is so this, like, big history project or whatever they have to do that, like, puts her on Mrs. Tingle's shit list is they, you know, have to make something, I guess, like, associated with history, whatever. So she does a journal of, like, a young girl who's being accused of being a witch in Salem, and she talks about them, like, getting burned. They were never burned in Salem. So, like, maybe you did deserve the sea. Like, I'm not trying to defend Mrs. Tingle, who was clearly unhinged. But, like, yeah, she's got a point. Yeah, she might have gotten caught up in style over substance. Because that book was looking great. I mean, I was all yeah. about it. But you're right. When it comes down to it, maybe not the most factually accurate. And Mrs. Tingle may have perhaps been within her rights to point that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not here to defend someone who actively wants to, you know, ruin children's futures because she's sure. bitter. But also, she's not wrong. <laughs> she's wrong for the right. <laughs> she's right for the wrong reasons in this mm-hmm. instance. <laughs> I, I think yeah. that the implication is that she has been out to get her and catch her for tiny mistakes the whole school year and was going to mm-hmm. get her no matter what. She happened to get her in this instance and feel justified. But most likely, if she had done a better job, I think at, at least... Leanne thinks that she was going to try to screw her over no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. She would have found, she would have gone after the binding, mm-hmm. you know, right. if it wasn't the content. What are you doing? You are such a loser. Oh, really? I think the race is still on for that title, Miss Watson. Uh, we were just um... doing seating arrangements for graduation. Extra credit. Extra credit. Has it come to that? Actually, we were just finishing up, right, Leanne? Right. Take it easy, Miss Tingle. Well, well, well. Final exams aren't until next week. Miss Watson. Look, Mrs. Tingle, it is not what you think. Save it for Mr. Potter, dear. Mrs. Tingle, just give her... explain, Mrs. Tingle. The smartest girl in school caught cheating. The irony of it all. So someone else that Mrs. Tingle kind of has it out for is her, is Leanne's bestie, Joe Lynn. I love that they both have double names because as (laughs) I have a double name, so it speaks to me. Um, But (laughs) Harmony, how do you feel about Joe Lynn? She is a best friend and she has dreams and not nearly the fear, or at least I guess isn't as a, she's a lot better of hiding the fear than uh, Leanne is, but 
she's she's so much more confident than her best friend. Like she wants to be an actress, and she is insistent on teach uh, on teaching Mrs. Tingle that she is a <laughs> phenomenal actress. And how fucking dare you say I'm bad at this? Look at that! I cried real tears. I bamboozled you. It's almost like a challenge. She they, they all have the these three main characters all have wildly different approaches to how they deal with Miss Tingle, which is like. Barry Watson's indifferent. Leanne's terrified. Joe is like, no, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah, she really has a thing for making sure that Mrs. Tingle can see her as an actress. She's like, and the thing is, a lot of people want to consider this like a one note sort of thing because it's just kind of the same gimmick over and over again. But of course, it does lead towards the, the climax of the film. There is a point to it. But I knew so many people like this because I was a theater kid where like it becomes their entire personality. And there were there's always the naysayers that are like, you know, hopefully you have a backup plan or, you know, make sure that you have a minor w- with your theater degree or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she just is not hearing it. And she's like, no, 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 I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you understand this because this is all I have. And that is such a 17-year-old way of approaching, you know, your dreams and, and your ambitions. And I love that. I also love that she gets to be, like, this strawberry blonde, like, redhead uh, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Even though, um, as I know you pointed out in your live tweet, it randomly is a wig sometimes, which I think is part of the reshoots. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, always fun and exciting. But I love this actress, and I wish that she had gotten a lot more to do. She's kind of like the 90s version of what like Katie Cassidy would become in the 2000s, where she's in a bunch of teen movies, but none of the teen movies she's in are the ones that like really exploded into popularity. Um, but this actress is one of is in one of my other favorite teen movies that's a problematic fave, which is Pumpkin, and she's the head of the sorority that Christina Ricci's in, and she gets to play this like very waspy, very like over emotional, like you're ruining everything kind of character, and she's so good in it. And she has like mousy brown hair. Oh, she's wonderful. Absolutely love her. Um, So I love that she gets so much to do in this movie. She gets to do the exorcist reenactment. Uh, She gets to uh, (laughs) have what was one of Harmony and I's favorite uh, moments is when she's talking about not getting to watch all of the the daytime talk shows um, and just laundry listing all of them for Helen Mirren, who is so beyond not giving a fuck about anything she has to say. Right, she doesn't uh, even have a TV, so that's the farthest thing from her mind. Oh, absolutely, and she listens to classical music recreationally. But uh, let's see, what's what's the exact line? Let's see if I can get it. Uh, Watching Jerry Springer so that you can watch programming about men who get a sex change into women so that they can be lesbians. And I'm like, well, for 1999, (laughs) like your language is a little outdated, but hey, what up? How's it going? (laughs) Prescient. Yeah, like, it's such a Kevin Williamson line, and I love it so much. Um, But she also, she's also an easy mark for Miss Tingle, despite the fact that she's so defiant against her. When, like, Mrs. Tingle has multiple monologues in this movie that feel like the Joker's, hey, kids, you want to know I got these scars monologues? (laughs) Oh, my God, BJ, I thought the exact same (laughs) thing. I was like, she's never giving them the real story. She's got major Joker energy. (laughs) I love that you thought that too like because that's what she, she's just fucking with them and like i'm sure there's like a little tidbit of truth 
truth in everything that she's saying. But like she gives her like sob story to Joe Lynn about like, I fell in love with this man and then my best friend took him. She was my best friend. And you can just watch Joe Lynn. Like she's like watching a soap opera. She's so enraptured in the story <laughs> and simultaneously horrified because, oh no, but my best friend would also sleep with the guy that I like. And it's just magnificent to watch it's just beautiful absolutely beautiful (laughs) the parallels now in hindsight was jolyn really i think she probably was but it's just an interesting thing about was jolyn really feeling that in the moment because first she's listening to this monologue about tingle's friends stealing her husband and like nodding and looking really enraptured and she just kind of stops nodding and you can see that she's registering oh my god this is my situation is there a universe in which she has already this is her starting the tingle con to uh make mrs tingle think that she's on her side against Leanne and Luke. I don't know, but I almost feel like there is this extra feeling of uh, of betrayal or like insult to injury in that moment that is like, that's right, Mrs. Tingle is out acting you and you fell for it. <laughs> she's not even thinking about Leanne and Luke. She's pissed that Mrs. Tingle is really exhibiting I, some chops. I think it's a bit of, of all of these things <laughs> at once, but I, it just really fuels on that, like, that's right, I'm going to act my ass off so well at some point, and you're going to have to admit that I'm talented. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, Mrs. Tingle is her biggest adversary in, in a different way. She's her motivation. Oh, for sure. Like, here's here's an interesting thing that I noted that I actually love how these three interact with her, which is that none of them like Mrs. Tingle. Actually, they all actively hate her. And yet, if they have moments alone with her, so many of these kids have bad home lives or like, you know, like Luke has an alcoholic dad or Leanne has to make sure that her mom doesn't accidentally burn down the house by falling asleep with lit cigarettes. So, like, it's kids of the 90s taking care of parents, and Mm -hmm. they are so excited to talk to Mrs. Tingle just because they want to talk to anyone about, like, their life and their problems, and they are so, like, they're so quick to open up to this woman despite hating her. Like, there's this... Uh, feeling of like, yes, they're adults and they think they're in control and they are scared and all these other things, but there is this young there there is this young need in order to be understood or to communicate this with someone in like a position of authority, whether it be a guidance counselor or a teacher or somebody that isn't your parents. Like they need this and they are looking to her for it despite hating her. Yeah, it's completely true. I mean, they sing like canaries every time she puts out like a little thing that's inviting them to basically give her information that she can use against them. Mm -hmm. They spill it because they're pretty much they're full and they can't help but spill over. I know it's kind of awesome. Don't worry, Luke. She's attracted to you. I can tell. No, Leanne's pretty repulsed by me. Oh, come on, Luke. You've gotten one or two cheerleaders drunk in your time. You know a thing or two about women. (laughs) Cleopatra rebuked Anthony simply because she desired him. Ah, it's different. Leah and I had our moment and it passed. Tell me about it. Back in the 10th grade, there was this party where Leah and I kind of hooked up once. 
the key word being once. I blew it. She was uncomfortable at the party. A little social dysfunction as a result of studying way too much. She was hiding out in the bathroom. I kept her company and we kind of had our own little party, you know? Sounds incredibly Chivago. I have two observations that I'd like to bounce off of you two. One, does the wig look a little bit like when in the craft, Robin Tooney can change her hair to different colors? And yes. You know yes, what I mean? it does. The, the way that the wig is laying is that it's coming out at, you know, like a perpendicular angle from all around her hairline. And I feel like that's exactly what happened in the craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it absolutely is. So I I've done a lot of thinking about this, and <laughs> it <laughs> we really did not have a good grasp on the lace front in the '90s. Like we didn't know no. what to do with it. So a it lot of time. the it was not its time yet. And a lot of these wigs have these like gravity defying volume right <laughs> at the hairline because I think that's the only way that they knew how to do it. And it's very like borderline drag. It's like casual drag queen wig. It has that sense of like immediate volume from the hairline. And it just looks wild on so many people. And I think that's why there are so many characters in 90s movies, especially 90s teen movies that have haircuts that are very like 60s hair hopper casual um because of that volume because that's the only way that they can make it look not fake right to just have it look it's all going up anyway so we may as well just continue the journey otherwise it's just it's very grandiose hair yeah (laughs) it's uh it's a thing it's it's fine the color also is like such an odd color for a wig so the because it's not her natural hair color um and as anyone who has ever tried to dye their hair red can tell you, up until recently, it has been like you get fire engine or you get this like kind of carrot top orange. Finding that like natural ginger is not a very easy thing to do. And that's what we're seeing here is yeah. this orangish strawberry blonde kind of color. I like it for her because it's interesting to look at, but it is not natural by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's definitely like an herbal essences apricot sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) yes oh my god yes (laughs) and then also so her hair in its natural state her cut did either of you notice that she and luke have like the exact same haircut they really do though and (laughs) exactly the same oh my god i have such a weird feeling we'll talk about luke in like a half second but i have such a weird feeling about this brand of like 90s heartthrob boy hair because they just gave that hair to every boy and mm-hmm. it doesn't work with everyone's facial shapes or or textures even because like they give that to Heath Ledger and 10 things I hate about you and it does not work for him it oh, in the no. slightest it's awful but then they give it to Barry Watson and then it's like because of his features like it then becomes this like very kind of femme haircut for him mm-hmm. and it's like yes. oh that's doing something for me that's interesting I don't know if that's the intention y'all wanted him to be having um but it's how <laughs> I'm receiving it. <laughs> oh, he is like when we first meet him and like he's looking down, his hair's not tucked behind his ears and it's like in his face. I'm like, why are you so beautiful here? Okay. You is are... that right before um, Joe Lynn? Sa- well, first of all, Leanne says that he's a canker, which is such like a Kevin Williamson's 90 insults. <laughs> and then Joe Lynn says he's a- he has a wrought iron ass. Which, again, (laughs) not the way humans talk, and I love it. 
Oh, it's fantastic. But like, it's right when we first meet him and he's picking up rocks and all this is going on. And he there's like a dramatic reveal where like, maybe I'm just misremembering it because I was awestruck. But like, it felt like there was a, a hair flip and everything. Like, it was an entrance and all he did was turn around. That's all he had to do. He does a lot of the like double handed, like, let me get my hair out of my face kind of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we don't get we don't see those a lot very often now. We do get the hair flip, but he does a lot of touching of it, which is great. Um, so as far as Luke as a character is concerned, we'll go around the room. But for me, like, I, he doesn't need to be here, in my opinion. Like, I understand why he's here. And I understand, like, the turmoil that it causes between the three of them. Um, a lot of these problems could be avoided if he wasn't here. And also, I just think that it would have been more interesting to watch just three women in a house together the whole time. Um, that just mm. would have been my dream, but that could be the gay talking. I mean, that sounds that very on brand for you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that hadn't occurred to me, but you're right. If you remove the romantic angle from all of the manipulation, you might be left with something that's a little bit more interesting and a little bit less typical. Even though I actually, I do like him. Um, but yeah, I am kind of curious to see that movie. Mm-hmm. See, for for me, Luke is the uh, he's the John Bender of the '90s. Like he's 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 Judd Nelson all the way down to like his jacket and the long hair and this like disaffected attitude. Like he's he's that version, you know, a decade plus later for the '90s. And it's really interesting that you could theoretically remove him because he doesn't need to be there. But it, there's an interesting aspect of this being such like uh, such an actress dominated movie that he's filling this like love triangle role that's usually reserved for like male dominated films. And it makes him like a prop. And that's not to say he's doing a bad job. It's just like he's a prop in the plot. And I think that that's perfectly fine. Hmm. I think that's a really good point because I also I don't dislike Luke as a character. I do think that he's you know, he's the third banana of, of this. He's the third wheel, in we my opinion. We needed someone to steal the finals answer sheet, BJ, and it wasn't going to be the <laughs> I two know, girls. We needed, we needed a bad boy. We needed it to, to be that set up. I understand his purpose. Um, but, like, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. But whenever I think about this movie, you know, after all these years, I never remember him. Like, I think about Katie Holmes, and I, I think about Mar- Marissa Coughlin, and, I, of course, think about Helen Mirren. Um, and then I have to always go, oh, yeah, and Barry Watson's there, too. Like, the guy from Seventh Heaven, he's there, too. <laughs> like, it just yeah. doesn't process, which, again, could be the gay talking. I am fully understanding my bias here. Well, maybe it's the gay talking for me that I appreciate seeing Barry Watson because I love him in Sorority Boys. <laughs> <laughs> When I heard you mention Sorority Boys on your episode with Chelsea about Cruel Intentions, it like sent me back into like a 90s swirl. Like I was in the Twilight Zone beginning. I haven't <laughs> thought about that movie in eight bajillion years. And it's out there. It exists. Yeah. it. I am the biggest defender of Sorority Boys in the universe. I'm the only person to do any kind of academic writing on it on the internet. We did a whole episode on on it for my birthday last year. I could talk about it forever and how much I love it. And Barry Watson, beautiful in that one, beautiful in this movie. Big fan. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He is beautiful. I do really like him, but I also, I see what you're saying. He's not necessarily bringing 
a lot to the table. He's Mm -hmm. kind of just a catalyst for other things to happen rather than being that much of his own character. You get glimpses of it when he's talking to Mrs. Tangle about his home life and everything. But otherwise, he's really there for the two girls to have a little bit of conflict with each other and for Mrs. Tangle to have an in to mess with them. Yeah, well, he's 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 necessary for the plot. He's not actually integral to the plot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally true. And I think that that leads us to to the titular role of this movie. And Kristen, I would love for you to kick us off. Let's talk about Eve Tingle. Uh, let's talk tingle. Let's have red tingle talk. Thank you for coming to my tingle talk. Um, <laughs> she, she is a real piece of work. Um, she, I would say that she more at home than at school exudes like a menacing sexuality. Um, oh, I can yeah. understand how she and Spanky may have connected. Uh, she must have shown a shade of that at a faculty meeting or something. Um, she, I mean, she's a great character and Helen Mirren is great as her. Um, she's super, I don't know, I don't even know what to say. She's just like super fun and just villainous. Like, I really appreciate that they don't go to any lengths to humanize Mrs. Tingle. She is just the shape for us, essentially. We don't have a ton of backstory, just a little bit at one point about how she sees herself in Leanne and how she never escaped her small town, but she's kind of devious and villainous through and through besides that. And I think she's so much fun to watch. I agree completely. I'm obsessed with her um, because in, in 1999, we did not fully have the language for this, at least outside of niche spaces. Mrs. Tingle is a mommy dom, and she (laughs) is so incredible at it. This is like the evil woman you see in porn, because I agree, it is all of like, there's so much sexually charged energy from her, but she is that woman who is in like the very tight pencil skirt with a giant like meter stick that slaps your desk. Like she is that lady. And when with deceptively dowdy hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the one place where she's hiding in plain sight. Yes, it's such a it's such an odd choice for her, especially I think because now we're so used to Helen Mirren with like scorching white hair that where she just walks into a room and you can't like look away from her. So she has kind of like this like mousy shade of hair. But then when she's at home and she's, you know, been tied to her bed and they realize she's wearing like hot lingerie and her hair's kind of messy and it's like oh okay even when she has like a little bit of like blood on her face you're mm-hmm. like oh okay mm-hmm. but and she's, she's so loving this oh my degree. gosh she is reveling in it she like this is the most like life she's had in a very long time which i think you know only further like encourages her to just absolutely emotionally torment these kids um i feel like a reason she's so mean to everyone at school like she gets off on it she loves being a bitch Mm -hmm. and you know this is this is the adult version of like the we love a mean girl sort of feeling about the regina george types of the world like this is her as like an older woman just being a huge bitch because it's fun and because it feels good. And while that is not a, a route I'm going to be taking in my life, I respect those who do it and own it. 
Oh yeah, like <laughs> I I am of a certain age where I'm like I don't love a mean girl. I do love mean women though. So like this is fantastic. I I do love yeah. that like she had no intentions of seeing Spanky any of the day, those days, but was just wearing her sexy lingerie for her. That's just for her. Yes, yours. First of all, there is such a distinction between mean girl and mean woman. You're right. I have no time for a mean girl, but a mean woman. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she's the best. Oh yeah, and like. Jeffrey Tambor's here. He's a scumbag, and I don't love seeing him pop up in things. But, like, as far as, like, the coach is concerned, he has a wife at home who just, like, sits in an armchair and reads the Bible. I can see why he would be drawn to a much more dangerous and commanding woman. Mm-hmm. She does seem to be probably the opposite of Mrs. Spanky at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and something else that I just love about specifically Helen Mirren. So I, I did a little bit of research and found some of the people that they had considered for Mrs. Tingle, but ultimately did not go with. And I'm going to, I'm going to let some of, some of you uh, debate these. So the first one was Meryl Streep. Um, uh, sure. Meryl could have done it. I don't think it would have been as good. She certainly could have done it. And I say this with affection for this movie. It seems somehow beneath her station. Like, it it would almost, like, take me out of the movie that Meryl Streep is here. Like, what the hell happened? You know what I mean? Right. Like, she goes from Sophie's (laughs) Choice to teaching Mrs. Tingle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one I was like, you know, I can kind of see it. This is kind of like Death Becomes Her levels of camp. I could maybe. But, no, ultimately, I was like, you know, the whole time I'd be like, this is fucking Meryl Streep. So another one that I was like, oh, this is actually an interesting choice uh, is Glenn Close. Oh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> can Glenn Close play sexy in this specific way, or is she gonna play sexy in like a slightly crazy way? <laughs> That's a good question. Because yeah, I mean, Fatal Attraction. She's so great in it, but not unlike Joan Cusack in Adam's Family Values, you don't see right. her as a sex symbol all that often. I mean, I'm right. I mean, I do, but the appeal of Mrs. Tingle is that she is very much in control. I think Glenn Close is a little bit too much like uh, I don't, I don't know. You throw a cat into a china shop and just spray it with a hose and see what happens. Yeah, a little bit of a live wire. She might not be able to have that like simmering thing going Mm -hmm. enough. She'd be maybe showing a little bit more of like a crazy spark in the eye that is a tell to the kids. Yeah, she's too obviously powerful. Like there, there's Mm -hmm. this simmering power to 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 Dame Helen Mirren in this movie. (laughs) It's so Uh, true. I was so another. I was intimidated through the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, you're fine. Uh, so another one, this one I also think pretty inspired, and my defense for this choice is that she does play this role in a different movie that I love, uh, Sigourney Weaver, which uh, to me, I'm like, that's just her character in Heartbreakers, which is yeah. a movie I love. Oh. I would have been down with that. That That is my silver medal in this one. That's, I got, yeah, same. That's a pretty good choice. I'm, I'm into that. And I could see it. It, it would fit for me. Mm-hmm. Right. It fits. It fits. Another one that they had considered that I think falls under the Meryl Streep rule of like, it would take me out to the point of like, what are you doing here? Is, uh, but also would love, is Sally Fields. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Again, I don't, I don't know if Sally Fields can simmer in the right way, you know? Right. Like yeah, she would be similar. so much fun to watch. Like oh, I yeah. think that she would bring like Mrs. Doubtfire in the restaurant the whole time energy, which would be really <laughs> fun to watch. Yeah. I, I think a- she's too friendly is the thing. 
That's yeah. exactly what I was just thinking. I just tried to bring myself to like the most angry moments of Mrs. Doubtfire. I was like staring off into middle distance being like, can she do it? But yeah, she's, <laughs> she's like too nice and lovable. Mm-hmm. Yes. So somebody who was actually offered the role but turned it down, and again, interesting choice, Jillian Anderson. Um, yes, I saw this. Okay. Jillian Anderson, I'm down with. I think obviously this is like x-files territory of her of her career but you know seeing what we know of her now like i definitely think she could have pulled it off and then another interesting cast that is not for mrs tingle but was uh, actually for leanne um alicia silverstone was considered to play leanne and i don't like that choice as much as i love alicia silverstone no that's not right for her She's too. She is also too powerful for this role. You needed someone like Katie Holmes, who's a little more reserved and mousy. I think you might be right because my first reaction too is that Alicia Silverstone is great, but like, nah, no, I don't really think so. And I think you hit on it, Harmony. I don't think that she would be intim like believably intimidated enough. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I mean, we'll cover it eventually on the show. Obviously, we have covered Clueless, but. When I think of Alicia Silverstone, I think of The Crush. Like, that is my, oh my God. place that I go to, where she is a child and is the most powerful woman in the world. So yes. it's like, yes. yeah, she. I do not buy Alicia Silverstone being scared of Helen Mirren. I feel like if any teenager at that time could tackle Helen Mirren, it would be Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> she could do it in her sleep backwards. Um, yeah. So all of that, I think, is just really interesting. And it puts this movie together in a way that just to me feels so Kevin Williamson and this movie is very much like in a weird semblance of camp. Um, Mm -hmm. But this movie did have a lot of changes that had to be made uh, to it because specifically we're in 1999. Everyone's favorite historical event happens for teen movies. Uh, Fucking Columbine happens. So the, the title originally was Killing Mrs. Tingle, which changed for obvious reasons. Um, I also think it's a better change because the alliteration is great. Killing Mrs. Tingle's not a good name because they don't intend on killing her. Right. Well, you know, apparently, so I saw a couple of different things about script changes, and apparently early on they were going to kill her. Oh, yeah. So maybe that did, you know, line up at the time, but I think it's probably better this way. It kind of, I like, agree. It, it works for a dark comedy, but I think it definitely gets into like a weird territory. Like, like if I were to compare this to anything, what if we're just watching Nine to Five, but Dolly Parton just decides to kill her boss? It's like, well, that kind yes. of that's weird. That 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 makes the whole movie feel strange if that was just on the table the whole time. Yeah, it kind of takes the fun out of it and a little bit of like the question of what they're going to do out of it if they're just going to eventually kill her. Then there's no need for hijinks of like blackmailing and stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. Then it just becomes I Know What You Did Last Summer, which again, Kevin Williamson and and wonderful. But um, that's what happens. Like not mad about it, but it just becomes that movie all over again. Oh, yeah. Especially Mm -hmm. because like the back 30 minutes of this movie is the most interesting part to me. Like we we had to pause it because we had stuff to do. we had to get dinner together, whatever. We came back to the movie. But that first thing I paused, I'm like, wow, we're 45 minutes in. It didn't feel like it. It zoomed by. But I was like, eh, I kind of get this. All right, whatever. And then the back <laughs> half of the movie, I'm like, oh, no, I'm much more intrigued. This is a thriller now. This is this is much more interesting because how do they get out of it? If they were just like, I don't know, just fucking. If you want to follow Luke's lead and just say burn the house down, it's like, well, yeah, I guess. Movie over. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know at one point I remember thinking like how are they going to get out of this like what how could this possibly resolve in some sort of a happy ending and watching the mac the machinations of that happening was definitely fun good afternoon Miss Watson Mrs. Tingle how long have you been on the loose oh catch up Leanne we're way past that why haven't you called the police? I just called Mr. Potter. He's on his way. I caught one of my best students cheating, and she and her lover stormed my house in anger and tried to attack me. No, I won't go along with that. I think you will. You won't kill me. Oh, no. What I have planned for you is a fate worse than death. You'll wear that name tag so well. So something else really interesting that I wanted to draw a parallel to, because I like made this realization in my head and then like couldn't get out of it for the last 24 hours. But we talk a lot about the way that teen movies were received, especially from the year 1999, because there are so many of them. And also like Columbine genuinely affected every teen release moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it, completely changed and almost made Ginger Snaps not even possible because nobody was willing to let anyone shoot a horror movie in a high school. And that was in Canada. So like the, it cannot be overstated how severely Columbine changed everything. And I know that that's very hard for a lot of younger people to understand because we are just very nonchalant about gun violence in schools these days. And Mm -hmm. I, it's like a, I feel like I'm in an alternate reality all the time. It's ridiculous. But it changed know, everything. Know, <laughs> when I was reading about the movie and um, came across the fact that, and I'm not saying this isn't awful, I, I hope you understand, but um, that 13 people were killed in Columbine. We have shootings that have such higher body counts now that it's just so interesting and horrible that that was so earth shaking at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And it's it's just again, like it feels like we're in an alternate reality where that happened and everything changed. And now it happens with so much more frequency and intensity and nothing changes. And it's wild, Mm. absolutely wild. Um, But what ended up happening is I don't think critics knew what to do with bleak or darkly comedic movies about teenagers at this time. I think people were really uncomfortable with the idea and didn't want to be that person who put out a review that was like, hey, this movie about teenagers committing crimes and committing violence and doing violent acts is really fun, actually. I don't think anyone wanted to be that person because another movie that came out this year that is also darkly comedic that also deals with like teenagers doing criminal activity uh, to somebody and like trying to cover it up and is also written and directed by a gay man is Jawbreaker. And both Jawbreaker and Teaching Mrs. Tingle have like bananas low scores on Rotten Tomatoes were just completely destroyed by critics who were like, nope, we hate this. And yet, you know, almost you know, decades later, we have people like, no, this movie was so formative for me and I love it and it's fun and it's campy and it's ridiculous and it makes me feel, you know, affirmed in my my aggression or whatever. And it's just very interesting to me that those two movies that share a lot of that same DNA are the two that were the like most poorly received from this year. And they're the ones that are the most like edgy, so to speak. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I, I think it's for a super specific reason. There are sometimes movies that aren't respected in their time for, you know, you can't, you can't really point to why, but you just watch them 10 years later and you're like, this is amazing. Why weren't we freaking out about this 10 years ago? This is super duper traceable to Columbine as is Jawbreaker. And I think that Jawbreaker probably has more of a cult following, um, attached to it than this one does but yeah i mean i feel like they couldn't be appreciated for what they are good or bad just because of the circumstances of what was going on then yeah i think that's definitely uh, a a big part of it an interesting an interesting note is that jawbreaker came out towards the beginning of this year teaching miss tingle is more from the back end it's from like august or september um but even if you just look at like violent sort of cult classic teen films like Heathers uh, a decade earlier, I think that we just don't like to... uh, I I think maybe there's this feeling of adults not really understanding like dark teen humor in that capacity where they're just like, oh, it's not fun. It's not... I I just don't understand it. Um, Because these these two movies take place on one side each of Columbine. And... It, it's it's I I don't really know what to make of it in terms of why they didn't succeed other than we just don't know how to market edgy because the trailer for teaching Mrs. Tingle is really bad. Like they didn't know what to do with this movie as far as like releasing it is concerned because the long trailer for theaters is paints it as a thriller and it's got like a really edgy 90 soundtrack. And then the short one for like TV spots that's like 30 seconds is trimmed down and focuses on like comedy like Barry Watson making out with Jeffrey Tambor and it uses the same edgy soundtrack so weird I, I think that studios are just at a loss when there's something kind of kind of weird and and dark like this they, they really just don't know what to do with it that could definitely be true and I also wonder if there is any portion of it that has to do with social media booming later on like when this came out the internet was already a thing but you know social media as we know it today wasn't so people couldn't quite as easily or in as widespread a way like spread the word about something share their love for it ping off of each other until fandoms like reach a fever pitch Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have individually i wonder if that has anything to do with it and also it's just i mean i think it's a really fun movie and i really like it i mean i've watched it twice now in like two months and like didn't hate it but you know it's citizen kane it ain't you know what I mean? Like, it, right. it's, it's somewhat appropriate that it hasn't had a humongous, you know, come up. Well, something that I also think is important is this is a PG-13 movie. This is not an yeah. R-rated movie. And a lot of Kevin Williamson stuff, like, I think thrives in an R rating because that's just his thing. Like, it, it's it's a little, it needs to be a little bit more intense. And I think... Um, killing her aside because again I think like well then what do you do from there I think it's more fun that they haven't killed her but are still absolutely in deep shit mm-hmm. um, but I think like had this been an R rated movie where they could be a little bit edgier they could be a little bit more intense you know r- raise the stakes a little bit higher let the humor be a little bit more off the wall I think would have been really beneficial but we because we didn't announce that we were doing this on our show podcast but I noted that we were watching it on you know for for the show on my personal Twitter. And we immediately got hit with a ton of people that were like, I fucking love this movie. No one ever talks about this movie. This movie is so great. And I was like, okay, that's fun. And then I did like a quick, like little vanity search of teaching Mrs. Tingle. And I found all these like 
in defense pieces or people that were like, I don't know why we never talk about this movie when we talk about like the canon of Kevin Williamson. And it's really starting to feel like maybe it's starting to creep up into public consciousness a bit more than it used to. I think fans are starting to find each other in a way that they obviously couldn't have before where it's like, Oh, I'm not the only person from my high school who saw this movie and thinks it's fun. There are other people who like this. And of course, then there's kind of this overcorrection that happens when you've spent your entire life thinking you're the only person in the world who likes this movie. So then that turns into like, actually it's the best movie I've ever seen ever period. (laughs) Um, And I think that's happening a little bit with some people because yeah, I understand why this is not, it's not scream. It's not the faculty. Like, it's not Dawson's Creek. I get that. It's not that. Jawbreaker. It's just, right. No. But it is But good. it is you know, it's really fun. fun. It's really fun. And it doesn't, I don't think it, it shouldn't have been just completely shut out from his filmography. And I wish that Kevin Williamson would have directed more. I think this is a very strong mm-hmm. debut feature, especially for somebody with such a gifted, like, screenwriting ability. I think that he deserves another shot at directing. Maybe he just doesn't want to. I don't know. I could write. I'm sure I'll cross paths with him again and I'll ask. But I think this is a well-directed movie. There's a lot of fun, like, visual gags. There's a lot of, like, really silly circumstances. And it follows well. It has great pacing. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yes, Mm -hmm. I appreciate that about it so much that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, it gets in and it gets out and you have fun in between. And I agree. I I don't know tons about directing, but there was nothing that stood out to me that was like, well, this is weird and not right. It feels like a super competent movie and not necessarily a first outing or anything. So I wish that he directed more, too. Yeah, definitely. Like, I have nothing else to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so at the end of this movie, we do discover that the kids have pulled one over on on Mrs. Tingle, and if anything, they are the ones who taught her the ultimate lesson. (laughs) And I, first off, I love the idea that she shoots a crossbow and ends up hitting Trudy, and when the principal (laughs) shows up and is like, what the fuck happened? And she's obviously devastated because she thinks that she's just killed this student. Um, Her reaction is like, I... I thought it was you. So I was like, you were very cool with killing Katie Holmes. Like, you're not upset that you killed a student. You're upset that you killed not Katie Holmes. Hey, all teachers have their favorites. And clearly Mrs. Tingle likes Trudy a lot. (laughs) Yeah, she definitely, uh, that's not who she was going for. But otherwise, she would have been cool. That would have, she would have given herself an A plus on that crossbow shoot if it had been Leanne. (laughs) (laughs) it's also very wild to me because this movie was delayed in release because of Columbine um, that we just had a kid bring a crossbow to school and no one thought to check that. No one thought to be like, Hey dude, um, no. (laughs) Um, Just bringing a crossbow to school would be enough to get you expelled. Like not, not to bring this back to the breakfast club, but bringing a flare gun to school is probably enough to get you expelled in the eighties. But no, he almost kills a girl by shooting her in the face mid-class it's and it's just like i don't know it's fine <laughs> trudy <laughs> almost dies twice <laughs> by yes. the same crossbow <laughs> i know and then why did mrs tingle bring it home she left trudy's like castle in the classroom i don't know why i i guess just because she has that sinister vibe to her she's like maybe this could come in handy with spanky who knows maybe <laughs> she took a lot of the projects home she only left trudy's too unwieldy perhaps 
I mean, it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, that's definitely a two-hander for sure. And you can't have that and a crossbow. Like, that's just clutter at that point. <laughs> no. Um, but it's just like, I also just love watching Helen Mirren during that scene because she spends this whole movie just having what is clearly the time of her life torturing these kids, which is yeah. wonderful. And then when she gets into this, like, sympathetic feeling, you realize, like, it had to be Helen Mirren because this character is such a cartoon in terms of the villainy, but I totally believe this. Like, every step of the way, I'm like, no, I know this person. You're real. You are grounded in reality. And it's because it's Dame fucking Helen Mirren, and she's so good, Mm -hmm. and she looks genuinely remorseful at this end, and then when she gives that knowing, like, well done kind of thing, it's just... so funny. Like, again, she's the fucking Joker. (laughs) Yes, she's basically, like, touche. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the Joker clapping in the cell in <laughs> The Dark Knight. Well, it's because she actually did teach this child something, which is breaking through the thick wall that is the Alanis Morissette generation and going, now you know what irony actually means. I am not an English teacher. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's another another motif throughout the movie is misuse of irony. Which is really funny because she's not an English teacher. She is a history teacher. Why are you so hung up on whether or not they're using this word correctly? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. I think just any one-up she can have on anybody, she's all about it. She's just very well-read. And she wants them to be able to read and know what words mean. (laughs) Well, speaking speaking of reading, too, I do want to shout out that I love that this is this... This comes out the same year as 10 Things I Hate About You, in which we have another, like... I mean, she's a guidance counselor, but Alice and Janney's character is also weirdly obsessed with romance novels the way that Molly <laughs> Molly Ringwald is in this. That's right. But in two di- entirely different ends of that spectrum, which I think is great. And there is like a cute little scream reference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> where uh, I don't even know if you caught that one, Harmony, but when she's reading and talking about like flashing panties all over town and it's clearly a reference to the way that they describe Maureen Prescott in, in Scream. Oh, um, that's so like, no, I did not catch that. I see you, Kevin. That's cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I was I was like, oh, okay. Having a bit of fun. Slutbag horror flashing her shit all over town becomes, I think, skank flashing panties or something. Or maybe I think it was still yes. slutbag horror. I'm not sure. But you flashed panties. Yeah, but it was like very much that. And I was like, okay, I see this. And mm-hmm. then I think it was your your live tweet that even called out that this is another borough high school. Yeah, he loves a borough. Woodsboro is Scream. And this is like, what is it? Glassboro or something? I can't remember. I think something so. Something, something of, it's a, just a borough. It's another borough yeah. school. And <laughs> I like that, you know, where Kevin Williamson's built his own little mini like evil teen universe. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe these are even neighboring towns. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. Everybody move out of that section in California. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to need to take it east. We have slashers and crossbows and aliens, too. No one is safe. (laughs) There's a lot going on here. Oh, goodness. Well, I think that that takes us out on teaching Mrs. Tingle. And I think we have all learned something today. Oh, absolutely. Even more than the meaning of irony. What specifically did we learn, BJ? I I don't know that Helen Mirren fucks. I don't know. We already knew that. I feel like we knew that. We've all reinforced things we already knew here today. All right, Harmony. So the time has come. 
teaching Mrs. Tingle is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? I here's the thing. Halfway through this movie, when we took our break to get dinner together, I was like, hey, "This is fine." I was not in love with it, but yeah, that back half is really fun, and there's a lot of intrigue, and I am absolutely bowled over by Helen Mirren just doing Helen Mirren things. Uh, she's unbelievable, obviously. And if you're curious, for those of you keeping score at home, Molly Ringwald has now pulled up to a tie with first place with Allison Janney for the person featured most on this podcast at four apiece. Oh, my God. They're four apiece, and it's with a character that they both have played. Holy shit. (laughs) So that's lovely. And uh, But yes, all of that said, I'm going to say that this is a a cozy yes. Beautiful. Love to hear it. So, Kristen, where can people find you on the internet? And if you want to tell them a little bit about your amazing podcast, now is your time. You have the floor. Thank you. All right. This is my teaching Mrs. Tingle teacher moment. Um, I have a podcast called Guides to the Unknown that I co-host with my brother, Will, where we talk about horror movies, mysteries, the paranormal, um, really anything that we're interested in and we happen to be interested in, usually freaky stuff. Um, You can find that at gttupod.com and also at gttupod on all social media. And you can find me individually at Chillin' Kristen on all social media. Amazing. Friends, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to listen to this week inspired by Teaching Mrs. Tingle? So uh, if I had to take any knocks against this movie, it's that I don't like the soundtrack at all. <laughs> yeah, you're not a big fan of post-grunge, are you? I, I think post-grunge is just extreme, extremely boring. Um, I think late 90s and early 2000s alternative rock is either like assaultingly angry or just angsty and dull. So I'm picking something inspired by that, but making it interesting. So I'm shouting out the album Farm to Table by Barty Strange. It's got uh, it's got like elements of emo. It's got elements of post grunge. There's like ambient synthesizers, but there's uh, this like almost hip hop delivery over it. Like this this rhythmic delivery of the lyrics that is really interesting and gives a lot more sense of mo- movement than most ambient and like angsty and dull music like this soundtrack has uh, is lacking. So I think that album's great. My personal favorite songs are Mulholland Drive. Heavy Heart, and Hennessy. Beautiful. I mean, everything that you described sounds like just the music of the 90s. So that's great. Yeah, that Um, sounds great. (laughs) All right, friends, you have your homework to check them out. And as always, we'll see you next time and save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye.
You're very good at this. I suspect you've had practice. Huh? Tell me, do you clean up after your drunken father when he passes out each night? You go straight for the juggler every time, don't you? This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.